So open your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. I said a few weeks ago that I was going to conclude our Ephesians series, and today is going to be the day. So what turned out to be three messages has eventually become five, and I think that's just how the Word of God works. If you're going to keep looking at something, you're going to keep uncovering and doing certain things. Um, at the beginning of this uh, series, I said our base text will be Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 to 10. So to remind us, I'd like to read that again. Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Amen. You can actually say there if you really want to, For by grace you have been healed through faith. You could say the same thing if you like, because the word saved is actually the word sozo, and in that is the completeness of your salvation, whether it be your mind, your body, your soul is the completeness of your healing and including your prosperity. So, for by grace you have been saved through faith. If you're sick this morning, you say, for by grace I have been healed through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. That is grace, amen. Verse 9, not a result of works so that, you may, that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you've been here with us over this series, um, I've been focusing on the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, 5, and 6. And from that, we've been gaining this understanding of Christian unity, of what it is to be the church of God and to walk together uh, maturely. Week one uh, was this whole item looking at the mature Christianity looks like something. There is a sense that um, we don't mature by sitting on our own in our own homes. We mature by being together and seeing the church grow in maturity and likeness of Christ. Mature Christians are unified as the Father and the Son are unified. And I said, re unity reveals our maturity. If you remember that. That maturity uh, cannot be seen separate to being unified within a body of Christ. So if you've got friends out there that don't go to church and they say we don't need to go to church to be Christian, well, there is a truth in that, but it's only half truth, which makes it actually a heresy. Um, you need to actually be in part of a church to be mature, to be like Christ, because that's how God sees it. Um, my second week, I looked at this whole sense, to know is to do. Um, we were encouraged to walk maturely. Uh, the three things that we drew from Ephesians chapter 5 um, that Paul encourages to walk in were to walk in love, to walk in light, and to walk in wisdom. We, to be in, uh, we are to be imitators of Jesus as we reveal Him to our world. And then week three, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we looked at just scratching the surface of Ephesians chapter 6. And... Um, Ephesians 6 is an amazing passage of Scripture, and uh, I looked at advancing in unity and maturity, because Ephesians 6 is all about um, putting on the armor. It's actually about this whole sense of, well, if I'm going to be dressed like a soldier, then there's this actual uh, expectation on us to be advancing like a soldier. So we can only do that as we're unified. And I scratched the surface of that a little bit. And today we're going to take a little bit more, a look at a little bit more of this as we look into the armor 
and the causes of those things and what they do for us. But we see that what I shared that week was this whole sense that Jesus is our armor. When we put ourselves into Jesus, we actually put ourselves into the fullness of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Um, when we look at the things like uh, truth, peace, salvation, righteousness, as what the armor reveals, those are the truths that hold us secure and firmly in the body of Christ, secure and firmly in the hands of God, and secure and firmly in the kingdom of God. And it's all to do with Jesus. What, for what purpose? To advance the kingdom of God. We heard that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of the air. That our, our, our enemy is not um, before us in the seen realm, but is actually within the unseen realm. A little bit like Pokemon Go. Right? Um, we'll get on as another topic. I'll leave that one alone because I might offend a few people, especially my son if he was here. Anyway, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and go a bit further on. I find it funny though, Pokemon Go, that a lot of the gyms and a lot of the places you can find Pokemon is, uh, is outside of churches. Maybe that's because we're casting demons out and that's where they're going. Anyway, just an idea for you. Is take that on board if you like. Um, <laughs> anyway, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So to repeat something that I said a few weeks ago, it said, I said, the strength of his might is in relation to Jesus' victory over sin, death, poverty and disease at Calvary. The truth that by faith we are saved through grace, that no one can boast. This is our standing, our grace, our covering and our protection. It is being hidden in the fullness of Christ and His glory. This is the armor of God for us. All spiritual warfare waged today is victorious only on the basis of appropriating the provisions of the cross and Christ's blood. Colossians 2.13 says, And you were, oh sorry, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. How cool is that? So even though we have this battle, even though the battle, those who we are battling are not seen, 
we really only have to stand firm in the truth that Jesus has already disarmed them and that God has made a public spectacle, made them out to be fools before all of eternity. How cool is that? When you think about it, what God has done. It's important to remember, our foundation is firmly in Christ and in Him alone. If you're sitting here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ, then what I'm about to say is going to actually not impact you in any way. Because without Jesus as your foundation, then you cannot understand the spiritual battle that is at hand. You cannot understand that we live in this realm that is some, something has been warring for for, 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 the time, for all of time. But you see, you can have a battle. You can have a war. I mean, you could even go and have a pokey battle if you really wanted to. But... Sort of like Goliath and David in a sense. David hears Goliath, this nine foot or however tall he was, giant, roaring and scaring the armies of God. And David's like, who is this cat? Who does he think he is challenging the armies of God? Who does he think he is challenging God? Will not God actually fight for us? You see, we get this perspective that, that the devil is pushing in and pushing in and he's taking control and that he's actually pushing back the church of God. But we actually got to get the perspective, insert Jesus and nothing stands. Like nothing can stand in comparison with the risen Christ. Nothing. Jesus is the winner. That's the song we used to sing. Jesus is the winner man. Right? There's this, this whole sense that, that the devil is going to roar around and make us quiver. But don't we have God on our side? Did not God create this world? Did not God create the angels? How could a created being be ever greater or even think he could be greater than God? Like, let's put it into perspective. If the earth is this minute speck in the, in, in the great, exactly, cosmos, and the devil is like just one little entity on that, and yet God created all of it, like, seriously, how, how much of a lie have we believed? Ephesians 6.10, I read it already. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We think we've got to be strong in our might. Like we get sick and we think that the whole world's against us. Come on. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand the schemes of the devil. It's a scheme. Like you are the highest spiritual being when you walk into a room. You, not Pastor Steve. Not Pastor Rod, not any of the other pastors in the room. You, 
are the highest spiritual being because Jesus Christ lives in you. He has set you apart. He has made you righteous. Only Christ can do this. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. All, not just one, all. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I don't know about you, but I think sometimes Christians are the most superstitious of the lot. I was born again in the 80s, all right? Who else was born again in the 80s? Put your hand up. Born again in the 80s. Uh, come on, there's more of yous. All right, superstitious of the lot. If you were born again in the 80s, that's you. All right? And I'm going to make my point. You were all told, put on the armor of God every day before you walked outside. And if you didn't put your armor of God on, you were in trouble that day because you couldn't stand it when the devil came at you. That's what you were told in the 80s. I mean, that's just the way it was. I'm not mocking that or knocking that in any way, but when do you actually take it off? When do we take Jesus off? We don't. Because if we can take Jesus off, then God is not God and salvation is not salvation and we are not saved. It's that simple. So if you can't take Jesus off, and who would want to once you put him on? Then like, how many suits of armor are you going to try and put on? And really, can you put on anything more greater than Jesus? What is the purpose of this passage? I believe in the light of the things Paul was writing. And what we have been discovering over the past few messages, that our old enemy does not like Christians knowing who they are. And he definitely doesn't like us knowing whose we are. When I say whose, we belong to God. That means something. When God says you're His, who's saying that? God, the Creator, your good dad. When He says that you belong to Him, is He ever going to forget that? Come on, do we ever forget that we've got a Snickers bar in the fridge? Seriously. I never forget when my son eats it. And he's not even here. But when do we forget? We don't. So how could God, who is good, forget? And he doesn't want us to know our authority and position in Jesus. Therefore, he undermines Christian liberty. He makes you think that it's okay to go out and play with sin. It's all right, God will cover it by grace. And all of a sudden we buy into licentiousness and we, we, we live second-rate Christianity. Like God doesn't want us playing around with those things. The devil does because he can undermine our value. He can undermine our position. He can undermine who we are. And if he can do that, 
then he can, he can cause you to drop out. He undermines Christian liberty. He undermines your value. He undermines unity at every opportunity that he gets. Why? Because the church united is a powerful entity that transforms a region that it is implanted in. When we get that, guys, we're going to see this region change. Without saying too much about it, because I do not want to glorify the works of Satan in any way, but I've noticed that the more we speak on grace, the more we speak on identity, the more we speak on Christian unity, the more he tries to railroad this church bringing disharmony. And I've seen pride sneak in. I've seen contempt for others and backbiting and gossip take over. It's almost like you walk into the mall sometime. Not now. This is what it was kind of like. This is why we've been addressing these sorts of things. But last year, it was almost like you kind of walked in the mall. You saw people having a coffee and all of a sudden it was like, shh, shh, shh he's here. Be quiet. Like, we don't need that exactly. That's just gossip. That's railroading what's going on in the kingdom of God. As people show interest in pursuing God's will, we see a rise in temptation. Now that has happened of late. Temptation, their ways have become hard and moments of weakness have happened. The devil's cunning for he knows each and every one of our weaknesses. Why? Because there's an unseen realm out there. And he's, he spies, his minions, his little pokeballs are out there watching you everywhere you go. I'm going I'm to hammer you guys today, I'm sorry. He's so cunning, he knows your weakness. So Paul's reminding us, he's reminding the Christians to be vigilant and to be at attention. That's why he's using battle language. That's why he's using armory. That's why he's like talking about be at attention, be vigilant, stand fast. <coughs> oh, here we go. I'm getting into it now. I've got a picture for you. Can you see the picture? Isn't he a handsome Italian man? Must be Pastor Rodney up there. Oh, it's your grandfather. Sorry, man. <laughs> Uh, this is kind of what Paul's seeing. He's seeing, he's sitting in this uh, prison. He's under house arrest. Like he got a little bit of freedom in there when he's writing these letters, but he's actually in jail. It's just not in the dark dungeons anymore. He's got his own place, but he's checking out old media. And he, it reminds him of something. It reminds him of Jesus. It reminds him of the benefits of being in Christ. And yet we superstitionize it and say that if we haven't got our helmet, then we're in a lot of trouble. If we haven't got Jesus, we're in a lot of trouble. All right? You're in a lot of trouble if you don't have Jesus. Hear my heart. So the devil's out there to try and undermine you, to try and break down the church, to try and dis bring disharmony and disunity and cause us to fight so that why we would split because division is always 
kind of help the devil's plans. By reminding us of our position in Christ and the benefits, Paul is showing us that there's a way we can stand up against the devil and his schemes. And remember, it's a picture of the church as much as it is a picture of the individual, which means we all play an important part in this. Because I believe a church can only be as strong as its weakest link. And if we're running around being the source of gossip, then we're the weak link. You see, the chain mail that you might see within, within later on armor, within like the European armor, the English armor and things like that, if you've got a weak link in your chain mail, that's where the sword or the spear is going to go through pretty quickly. It's kind of like the access point where the devil wants to get his schemes in and break down the purposes and the vision of the church. So I hope you got that picture up there because I want to go through a little bit each and every one of these things. Now that there's the Roman belt. The legionnaire, centurion, the, the tribune, they all had the same belt. No matter what they were. But the belt's very important. If you're a Jewish soldier, it meant you could you could kind of pick up your tunic and tuck it in and run. If you're a Roman, it had more important things to do. It held your weapon for starters. Without truth, the word is useless. Without believing that the word is truth, we don't have a really sharp sword. So we need the belt of truth to balance out the word that we're reading and to help us to remain armed in every situation. This, this, this belt holds our weapon, but also notice something there. You guys might appreciate this. If I go back a, a little bit, what's it doing? You'll appreciate it all right. It's called a tassel, a little bautia. What do they cover? All the dangly bits. That's the belt, by the way, guys. They actually cover the life-giving function of a male. Satan seeks to accuse us so that we feel disqualified from God's use. His lies and accusations attempt to sterilize us so that I can'ts, I'm nots, and I'll nevers keep us from doing anything daring or influencing anyone beyond ourselves. But the truth of God's word encourages us in who we are in Christ. If we digest this truth and we repeat it over ourselves, even on a daily basis, what do we repeat over ourselves? I'm accepted. I'm made worthy. I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus. These are truths that as we get into our body, as we get into our mind and we renew it, all of a sudden, we're not sterile, but we become strong, become virile. And we become this sense that we want to go and share something with someone because it's truth. And truth sets free. And when we're set free, we can set others free. And that's why the belt's really important. Not only does it hold our weapon, but it protects us from the place where we're supposed to be fertile in the spirit 
which is in sharing truth, which is in sharing the gospel, which is in bringing about the whole point of transformation. But you see, we don't have our belt. We actually are weak and we're exposed. When a man's exposed, he becomes embarrassed. He's embarrassed of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For why? It is the power of God unto salvation. See, see how it all makes sense when you start thinking of what truth actually does? The second one there, we've got this breastplate. Now, there's all various op- pictures you can pull out. Some were leather, some were iron, some were steel. This thing weighed about 40 pounds. It's pretty heavy. The soldier's breastplate provided a covering for each soldier and the sides, uh, for each shoulder and the sides of his chest. It's possibly the most beautiful part of the armor because of the bronze or iron scales that reflect the sun as the soldier moves. It's heavy though. Like I said, about 40 pounds. What is that 18 kilos? But the protection it provided over the heart and the vital organs was worth its weight. Paul instructs that the righteousness we have in Christ is like this soldier's breastplate, which covers and protects the most vital parts of who we are. Throughout Scripture, the word heart rarely refers to the blood-pumping organ as we know it today. Instead, it's most often used to describe the core being of the person, thoughts, emotions, and any inner function of an individual. Satan seeks to assault us at our core. His whispers and accusations are aimed to corrupt the parts of your inner self to steal your identity and replace it with his defeated one. But when you put on Jesus, you put on this breastplate of righteousness which covers you in his identity. Feel the weight of its protection and declare this now. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Why don't you declare that with me? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. If you're an autistic child, there's something about hugs for someone with autism. There's something about clothing that holds tight. It brings security. Now, one or two things happen generally. An autistic child will either run away from someone trying to embrace them because of the over-hypersensitivity to the touch. But when they're having an anxiety attack, the embrace of a hug or a weighted pillow or a weighted blanket where it kind of secures them is invaluable. Trust me, I know. How much more when you put on the breastplate of righteousness and you feel the weight of that breastplate upon your chest, how confident do you feel that you are now the righteousness of Jesus? Get an idea of that picture. It is. The next one is the shoes of peace. I'll try and get through these a bit quicker for us. The soldiers' feet were outfitted with sandals. 
These sandals were made up with thick leather sole, various straps. They're wrapped up to these ankles. There were bits of rock or some place, sometimes bits of iron or something that were embedded into the, the soles for better traction. The shoes served a very important purpose, to keep the soldier well planted while marching or standing in unstable soil. Think about how Rome took over the world. Think about the type of terrain that they overcome. Could you imagine walking those thousands of miles and kilometers that they did in those type of shoes? They're not really Nikes, are they? Paul instructed that we outfit our feet with the shoes of peace, Ephesians 6.15. Like the historic shoes, our spiritual shoes of peace provide us with the ability to face rough or unknown situations, knowing that we won't slip from our positions. It's important to understand that peace isn't the absence of tough times. Instead, you will have many trials and sorrows, Jesus said in John 16:33. We're never guaranteed well-traveled paths that everyone will like us or that the devil won't mess with us. If you were promised that when you came to Jesus, then you were sold a lie. You might need to let that one go. Through traversing difficult terrain, although traversing difficult terrain may be an inevitable part of our journey, we can still experience peace. Jesus said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Peace in me is the most important part of what he said. In this world, peace isn't found in our circumstances, but rather found in Christ. In Christ, we have the refreshment and protection of his presence, which is peace. In Christ, we also have peace with God, made possible by his son's sacrifice on the cross. With these shoes, we also need to understand that we are prepared for a journey being ready at all times and in all circumstances to share the gospel of peace. Because it's not just good enough, guys, that we have peace for ourselves, peace with God and peace here now because Christ is with us. We actually need to understand that there are people in our lives that need the same peace. And we're now the carriers of that peace and the revealers of such to them. Your gospel shoes prepared with the gospel of peace it means we need to be ready not just to stand firm against the devil but to also share truth i think that's an amazing weapon that we forget about when he's kind of having a real dig at you and trying to really knock you down isn't it like a real thumb in the nose by just turning around and sharing the gospel with someone like devil you can have your crack but i'm still going to tell the truth to someone and share the peace of God that I have? I, seriously? Knock on your neighbor's door and just say, hey, I've got something to share with you. If you give me 10 minutes, I'd really like some of your time and have a cup of tea. Go and tell them about the amazing peace you've got in the crazy storm you're walking through. And they'll want what you've got. They really will. Ooh. 
I'll go back a little bit for you. See how big that shield is? I watched Risen the other night. Who's seen that? I don't know. Um, Risen's like, it's kind of like the sequel of The Passion. Um, but this came in really effective, and I want to just share it with you. These guys were marching upon the Hebrew people, upon Barabbas, actually. And uh, they marched in with these swords, these shields, and they, they carried them over their head. And I'll show you a picture of it later. But they had to get up this wall. And they used their shields and staggered up the wall, all these guys. And then everyone ran up the actual shields. What an interesting picture of a shield of faith. Because who feels like sometimes they're down here in the doldrums, but they need to be getting up here? And the picture is faith. You know, you're already up here. you just got to believe it. And by using your shield, like you're already there. It's just an interesting picture. I just wanted to share that with you just then. It, just, it was really cool. But this one is an interesting one. thought I'd stir you up a little bit. Because uh, I have talks with some of you and you feel like you're in despair. Um, who's gone through some doubts in the last few weeks? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's believing a lie right now? Like, your roast is going to burn. That's a lie. Right? Right there, because you probably didn't even put it on, because you didn't invite me for lunch. So, can't be there. That's not a lie. So, look, there's some of the fiery darts that the devil throws at us. The shield of faith. The soldier's shield was a sizable article, about four feet tall and about two and a half feet wide. So it's about 1,200, uh, 750 wide. Not light at all. So 1,200, that's 120 centimeters for those of you in high school. 750, that's 75 centimeters for those of you in high school because that's how they teach you in high school. Guys, you've got to learn millimeters. It's so much better. Isn't that right, Rod? Amen. <laughs> <coughs> Wow, Rodney's a tall Roman. Venice. <laughs> i got to get this back, sorry. Two and a half feet wide, put together with pieces of curved wood. It was designed to protect the soldier's entire body from danger that might accost him from any direction. Likewise, in spiritual warfare, the attacks of Satan come at us from all different directions. His flaming arrows tend to broadside or come at us from behind, all designed to set fire to our identities in Christ. All right, when Rod was away, um, I was all alone. I was sitting in the church and I felt all alone. There was a couple other people that felt the same thing. Um, one of the people rang me up and through prayer just got this real impression that they were alone and um, in that moment of feeling alone, you know, I, was, I was pretty good. But what happens is, all of a sudden you hear something, and when you're starting to feel alone, that thing that you hear that wouldn't normally rock you in your faith kind of challenges you and you kind of dip a little bit. And this is kind of explaining how the brain works in the sense of depression. So when you're feeling all alone, and the devil says you're all alone, 
because he's always whispering in your ear, you're alone and no one's there to back you up and support you. And then, then all of a sudden you hear a whisper. Someone, yeah, someone's got you and all of a sudden someone's left the church, for example. Well, now you do feel alone because everyone's turning on you. But I know everyone's not turning on me because look, you're all here, right? So that's how the lies work. That's this dirty, rotten lie there. Steve, you're all alone. No one cares. No one cares for you. All of a sudden, you feel depressed. And then you start to feel depressed. He's like, well, I'm going to give you the big one right now. Bam. I'm leaving. Oh, what? Guess what I said? I don't think I'm cut out for this job. Why? Because the devil's undermining my faith. The devil's trying to take me out. Because he doesn't want me sharing this. Because he doesn't want a strong church. He doesn't want people to stand up against him and take the world for God. Jesus. The answer's always going to be Jesus. But you see, I needed to go through that depressive moment to realize, yeah, I'm called to do this. And guess who's got my back? Jesus. That's right. And whether there was one person here or a hundred people sitting here listening to this, Jesus would still have my back and I'd still be preaching the same message because I believe it to the core. We need faith. We need to believe. We need to work together to quench the flaming darts of the devil. That's why prayer is important. Paul instructs that the only thing that will block and extinguish these fiery arrows is a shield of faith. While faith is the confidence of of things we don't yet see, Hebrews 11.1. 1. It isn't blind. When I revisit the major events in my life, I clearly see the divine hand throughout, orchestrating my arrival and departure from place to place. With this in mind, I gain renewed confidence that God will again work out whatever situation I face. And that's what I said this morning when I woke up and I went, I can breathe. It means I can preach right? Because I got faith. The same is true for you. Think of all the ways God guided you in, the, in order to live today, to be able to hear this. You'll find that remembering God's goodness in the past is the key to confidence in the future. Now use this confidence as your shield and lift it high. God's got this. It should be your answer to overcome every expectation in your life. God's got this. That's your answer. It's not, it's not just rote learning. It's not just something that you learnt in preschool or kindergarten or Sunday school. God's got this from beginning to end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He has accomplished it. Jesus said it is finished, and we actually need to appropriate this in our life. That's faith. Stand up. Tell the devil to rack off. Get rid of his fiery lies. And if you can't do it, get around someone else who can, whose faith is strong, and they can shield you for a while. The whole point of being in the church is so that we can work together. The last one, I think. That's a pretty one. Sorry about the little bit missing there. There's a doc doctored photo. Um, the soldier's helmet was a single piece of iron molded to fit his head and adorned with a peacock-like crest to identify his rank. I like that rank. 
Like today, head wounds in accident in ancient times were the most common and fatal wounds of war. The soldier wouldn't dare enter battle without his helmet. Spiritually speaking, our heads represent what's in them. Our minds. We know that the mind is the devil's playground. Satan barges into our lives with notions as to why God can't use us, why we'll never be healed, or why our particular sins are too big to be forgiven. Who heard that one this week? Dirty, rotten sinner. Get out. You don't belong in church. Why are you going there today? They're not going to accept you. Why would they? Look what you did last week. Look what you did last night. Look what you just said. But haven't I got security in Christ? Am I not saved in Jesus? We may not be able to control everything that creeps into our minds, but we can take these thoughts captive by replacing them with Scripture. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. There's one for your little diary, guys. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5. Take every thought captive. Every thought. When he comes to you and says, you're not worthy to go to that place, crack off, devil, I'm worthy to be there because Jesus died for me to be there. Amen. <coughs> Amen. When Satan whispers, God doesn't love you, Take it captive with God's word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If he accuses you, you've messed up too many times, remind him. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 1 Corinthians 5, 17. You are new. Remember that. When you realize that you're new, no longer are you attracted to this thing. Wow. Finally, the soldier's sword is a weapon unlike all of the others because it's both defensive and offensive. In its defensive function, the sword blocks the swing of the enemy's weapon. But often the soldier used it offensively by waving it in the air as a signal to oncoming enemies that he's armed and dangerous. You can kind of imagine it, eh? You're sitting up there and you're on, you're on, uh, you're on scout, and you start to see the enemy come and you just pull your sword out and you start waving it around. Look, I'm ready for you. Come, bring it. I've got a sword, I've got a sword and I'm going to take you out. Mm-hmm. Paul revealed that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. We use God's Word as a weapon when we speak it. Speaking Scripture aloud raises a spiritual sword in the air that alerts Satan that you're, you are armed and dangerous. Because you know who you are in Christ. He has no chance and might as well back off. Speaking scripture gives Satan a potent reminder of everything he lost because of the cross. And it forces him to flee. In concluding today, I want to highlight verse 18 again. It says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, 
keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Prayer is vital within our battle stance. If you remember, it says, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Like, we can wave our sword and that's very, very good to do. But really what we should be doing is marching in formation. I don't know about you, but that's a great picture of unity. Yeah. That's right. Exactly right. Or arrows coming down. Prayer is vital. Prayer together corporately. Prayer alone. Prayer in your war room, if you've seen that movie. Prayer just with a trusted friend. Prayer in the church. Corporate prayer. Prayer shows that we're ready for battle. Prayer in the Spirit. Now, come on, guys. What does that mean? Well, if you believe what we believe, prayer in the Spirit means to pray in tongues. It means the heavenly language that you've been given. It's an important thing. Not so that it... Not, not just because you're praying from the heart and God can understand from the depths of your heart, but I don't know if the devil can understand your prayer language. It's a pretty interesting little thought. So prayer in the Spirit is very important. What are we praying for? This is my conclusion. Stand therefore. Why don't you stand this morning? This is what we're praying for. We're praying for unity. We're praying for solidarity. We're praying that our flanks won't be taken. We're praying that the devil's fiery darts from up above can't hurt us. We're praying that he's not going to be able to get us from underneath because of our spears and our swords and because of our shields. We're praying that together, when one might be injured, one might have a little cut, one might be feeling down, one might be feeling sick, that together we can raise faith and we can go to God and God who is the answer in every situation, can heal, can bring restoration, and can bring salvation. Why don't you just start to pray to the Lord now? If you pray in English, that's fine. Pray in English right now. Pray to God that we pray for unity. Unity within this body and unity within the churches of Griffith. Because that's what we need. We need a church unified. If you pray in the Spirit, just begin to rise up from the Spirit right now and allow the Holy Spirit to reach out and to speak to God on our behalf. Father, I want to give you glory and honor this morning. Because Lord, even though the devil will try and take us out, even though he has not wanted us to hear this message, Lord, you are faithful and you have brought about something here in the natural this morning. That as your word is spoken, the church is empowered, the church is filled with faith, And the church is able to respond to the great commander, Jesus Christ, the head. Father, we ask for for a greater spirit of unity here in this place. We ask, Lord God, for peace. Lord, in our own hearts that surpasses all understanding. We ask that that peace, Lord God, in our heart reminds us of the salvation we have in Christ and would cause us to reach beyond ourselves and to share the gospel to those who need it. Father, we thank you for truth. 
Lord, we thank you that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus, you are not only the word, you are truth. And Lord, we thank you that we find our truth secure in you, and that truth makes us strong and virile and makes us empowered for the things that you want for us to do and achieve. I thank you, Lord, for salvation, that it is secure in Christ. And as it is fastened upon our head like a helmet, it reminds us that when the enemy comes to try and steal, kill, and destroy, that, Lord, we, we have truth, that we are found firmly in Christ, that we have the mind of Christ, and that we are the righteousness of Christ, that we can stand against every wile of the devil, and that he must flee from us. Father, we thank you for faith. Let faith arise in this place. Let faith arise in this place. Let faith arise in this place. Lord, to know that you can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or fathom. Let faith arise in this place. Lord, we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.